Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm presenting Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne, and I'm here with architect Reno Rizzo, who I've been from director, co-director of InArch Architects, who established uh, the practice in 1994. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Stephen. I feel like I've known you for a very long time, Reno. I feel like it's been eternity, but um, I have been following your work and. Uh, I'm never disappointed. I think there's a level of consistency there that, you know, it's very thoughtful. Tell me about your background. You studied at Melbourne University and obviously didn't go straight into establishing a practice. No, I, um, I graduated in 1981 and um, worked for an architect called Ermin Smrecker, who... Uh, remember him. We're now uh, working on a redevelopment of a building of his, the Venetal Club in uh, Bulleen Road, Bulleen. One of my favourite buildings. <laughs> Love it. A brutalist 70s. And I actually worked on that in about uh, 79 as a student. How amazing. So it's great to go back and, um, and revisit. And uh, Ehrman passed away a few years ago, so yeah. I think it's um, terrific trying to honour his uh, early design. Is it hard revisiting a project like that? Look, I think it is. Um, but I think it's also quite satisfying to go back and go through the early drawings, the early concepts, and when uh, commercial buildings like the Venetal Club tend to evolve over the years, I think there's always a chance that there's a departure from the original idea. And, um, so myself, are, you, are you restoring it? Or? Well, it, it's a three-level building. The top level is called the Sala Venezia, which is a ballroom. And fortunately, it's probably the least touched of all the areas in the building. And it's time for a complete redevelopment. Um, so we're trying to stay true to the original design ethos. Um, and we're also working on a master plan because the committee, too, realised that over the years things can degrade slightly in terms of concept. Um, and so we're trying to do all future work under the umbrella of a thought-out master plan, which is supported by the committee. Has it got some wild features in it from the 70s, or is it kind of more a tame, brutalist 1970s No, interior? look, I, I think the original shape and, and the textures, you know, the off-form concrete, huge cantilevered forms. Um, it's a form of clinker brick, which is used in an expressionist way. And unfortunately, some of those things have been covered up. Magnificent sculptural rainwater heads with chains coming off them. It, it really is and was very exciting, but it's just been overwhelmed by a lot of development. And so it's it's a bit of pairing back and trying to get back to what was there originally. I'm already excited. I haven't seen it. <laughs> When's it going to be finished? <laughs> well, next year sometime. Please keep me posted. That sounds one for me. We will. Um, Reno, so you worked for Ehrman for a while and yes. then other practices. Then, then I went and um, worked with... Um, Denton Corker Marshall, and I was there for five years, and I became a, a sort of junior designer and loved my time there. Um, met my wife, Jenny, there, as architects do. Mm -hmm. She's also an architect. She's also an architect, and uh, we have our daughter, who's an architect as well, Molly. And um, we've... So I spent my time there and then um, left to set up my own practice and... Uh, so that went quite well for a while. And then I was contacted by INARC, who were an interior design practice at the time. And 
they needed an architect to run a project, a very large residential project that they had. And uh, so I went in to do that as a, as a single one-off job. And at the end of that, they said, look, why don't you sort of come in here, look after the construction of it and continue with your own work, if you like. I did that, and then as time went on, I sort of did more and more of in-arc interior design work, uh, the architectural division of that company. And um, and then in the end, um, Christopher and I took over and changed it to in-arc architects, and so it it is now practices as a architectural practice, but we do interiors as well. So you have, unlike some architects who tend to get pigeonholed with just doing high-end residential work, you tend to do your your portfolio is quite diverse. You've got the award-winning golf club at Huntingdale, which was a couple of years ago a major award for that. Yes. But then you, you know, you're doing this Italian club in Boleyn, um, high-end residential. Medium density, Medium residential. Um, we've done commercial work. We did um, a small office building for solicitors, making it appell in Greville Street, Paran. We've also did uh, Plan X Factory, which was a showroom factory offices for um, for a great design company um, in Hallam uh, on the Princess Highway, and um, that was a great experience. Um, Is there anything you'd feel uncomfortable? getting involved in? Look, we like the variety of briefs and, and finding different people. We do a lot of legal work, barristers' chambers as well. No, I, I don't think so. I think that um, usually people that come in search of an architect with a different sort of a brief, I think they're sort of like-minded individuals, so we tend to get on pretty well. Um, Reno, I recently uh, ran an architecture tour through this project. I was very impressed. It's a, um, a townhouse in Gore Street, in Fitzroy. Yes. Uh, very monumental. Um, it's pretty much a heritage precinct. Um, tell me a little bit about that because they actually fit in really beautifully to the streetscape. Even though they're contemporary, they're very respectful. Yes, well, um, Fitzroy was one of the first sort of developments uh, in the 1870s that started outside of the central CBD. And Gore Street is one of the most intact so it has a very high heritage rating, and uh, we worked with Lovell Chen to, to go through the history of this site. It was a very unusual, um, formerly a commercial site in Victorian times, so uh, there'd been a fire, and, and so it ended up being um, a vacant site for quite a few years. So clients of ours, there were two clients that got together and said, um, build us two townhouses. And so we tried to strip it back and... It went to VCAT, uh, as most developments Neighbors do in this just area. didn't get it. Um, or there'd they been didn't a, There'd been a history of this site, and they wanted more repetition of what had been there. What which, a faux Victorian. Well, they were very simple developer-slash-builder-type responses, and we thought we could do a lot better. They didn't want that. They just wanted the same to continue along. So we really stripped it back. We've built them their, their th three- and four-level townhouses, even though they present as a two-storey from the street. And bluestone facades. And sawn bluestone facades predominantly. So very strong and simple forms, but quite clean. And, and so they don't detract from the a lot of the ornament that, that is in the street and the variety of houses that is in What's the What's interesting from the street also, you've got these raised uh, front gardens, almost very much akin to what Victorians did 
in in the street, raising the front door. Yes. So rather than being at pavement level. So even though it's contemporary, there is that dialogue with other period homes. Look, there is, and that was something very important to us, to try and get some landscape softening in the front, which the houses nearby, the newer developed houses, didn't do. Um, they pretty much had basements coming all the way to the front. There's very little opportunity for for trees with a proper root ball in the ground. Uh, the other thing about raising it um, four or five steps from the street is that it comes in at grade from the back. So you can park your cars at the back and just walk all through at one level and then take a lift or go up and down stairs. But, and it also puts you above the level of the parked cars in the street. So you're looking over the cars and hiding behind the landscape. I think, you know, people who came with me on the day to see this house would have said, I mean, they were really thought it was quite beautiful, very simple, quite Japanese, very restrained. And that's something that kind of goes through many of your projects, particularly your domestic work. Would you say that's, you know, very, you pair back. Is that from your Denton Cork and Marshall days? Yeah, or, is it, <laughs> or is it something that you just feel... When things get too bit busy, you feel a bit uncomfortable. Look, I, I loved my time at Tentacooka Marshall, and yes, uh, it, I think it does carry on from those days. Look, I think it's a personality thing as well. I just love calm, restrained work with few materials. Um, sometimes we have to be more exuberant. We have clients that like colour and movement, and, and mm. we tend to add that into the interiors, but more as a layer rather than being in the actual body of the building and artwork, yeah. What do you see as pivotal to a great outcome in a house? What are the things that you really strive to achieve, whether it's in a kitchen or a living area? What are the things that really matter to you? Look, I, I suppose we, we try and look at um, the project as a whole. First of all, happiness of the client. Um, I think that that's a major thing, but often clients come in search of architects that suit their own sort of personality as well. Um, we tried to hide a lot of the detail that comes with everyday objects, such as a kitchen, and we try to streamline those back as much as possible. We try to have an open volume. We try to link our ga gardens and landscape through as much as possible light from all directions and from above if possible, which was in the Gore Street townhouses where we had a stairwell that went up through the four levels That's a light with a light well. well at the top, which became a sort of like a, an enclosed lantern on the inside. They're the sort of simplifying approaches that we try to adopt and minimising the number of different materials mm. as well. I think, yeah, I think that's probably something that yeah. comes out very strongly. Um, if we look at something like the golf course yes. the golf clubhouse for um which won an award a couple of years ago from the institute of architects tell me about that project because it's i imagine when you're dealing with clients who want a golf club they want something fairly traditional which is kind of generally their market and you've managed to combine both the traditional but also the contemporary and you've used elements that are really quite um interesting like plaid carpets you know kind of punchy feature walls. Tell me a little bit about that project. Well, the, the project was for the Huntingdale Golf Club, which was the home of the Australian Masters, and it's one of the handful of sandbelt courses in Victoria. So th these courses are world famous. So this was uh, a very well-established club that started in uh, around 1941 on its current site. 
and they were looking at a, a new clubhouse. They approached um, 16 architects. 16? Um, oh. Some of them overseas and um, invited expressions of interest. We'd never done a clubhouse before. In this type of work, it's very important that you had done some golf club architecture before. Um, but anyway, we got through to the um, to the five that they selected to... Uh, were they Australians, the last Yes, five? they were, yeah, to submit designs. So they would submit concepts and then present it to the uh, the committee. And um, so we would, we made it to the short list of five, we presented, we got down to two, and, and we ended up winning the competition. And I know that the committee were asked afterwards, well, why did you pick someone who'd never designed a clubhouse before? And they said, well, because we wanted something that was different from all the others and we were prepared to go down a different path. And I think that we challenged the brief. It, it, the brief was for a single-storey clubhouse, and there's an existing course around it, which is sacrosanct. You're not allowed to touch the existing course. So the footprint was limited. So what we did is we put a lot of um, the change rooms and facilities that normally clutter up a ground floor and put them at a lower level, linked them via a sunken garden to get light in, and we are able to free up the footprint put the services in the middle and then have maximum glazing around the perimeter to really make you feel like you're part of the course and you've got a good contact with the course wherever you are because we understood that people who go to golf clubs love the landscape, they love the course, so why not be able to see it from just about every position in the clubhouse? Um, I think from memory, and tell me if I'm wrong, there was the the Great Corridor yes. uh, was very much, I think you said at the time, you were inspired by Guildford Bell. Is that correct or is that not correct? Or you'd rather <laughs> no, that look, I didn't I've say got, that? Uh, we, I, we have a book in the office, a Guildford Bell book. It's a very large format type book. And I always remember there's a photo in there of um, Hayman Island Resort, yes. which has a series of chairs against a colonnade looking out through glazed windows. And that was something that we did have in our minds and that's the main welcoming feature of the club and coincidentally the, the windows that that looks out onto was the area where um, the brief had designated that the change rooms would be located. I mean you have done so much Reno, you've done country houses, you've done inner city apartments, how do you usually start a brief? How do you get a feel of the client and what they're actually you know, their quirks, their likes, their dislikes. I mean, it's hard to read people from just a couple of meetings. Look, we... It's a matter of just listening early on, listening and trying to draw out of people things that they like and, and directions that they would like to head in. And and it often means inviting images. And I think these days it sometimes becomes a bit overwhelming because with Instagram and with um, the internet, people can just show you so many images it's often difficult to find out what it is that they like about those images. It can be very subtle. So it takes a lot of time sitting down with people and trying to go through them. In terms of a written brief, we try to get them to give us just a point form brief, a dot point type brief, because otherwise by the time they come up with a, a long expose of what they like or dislike, it, it sort of gets clouded and gets mm. a bit lost. So more off the cuff but pointed direction i think is what's required okay um and then what just several meetings refining refining oh, yes. then it, it could go anywhere from you know two months to 12 months <laughs> do you reno do you tend to present uh, are you kind of 
want to cover all ground so you tend to present clients like four or five different schemes or do you feel like there's that confidence and you go oh, I really know them this is the one this is the key idea and then you hand them that and hopefully you can read them so you're on the same track and they go yes Reno you that's exactly or do you give a series of alternatives and then mesh them together uh, I wouldn't say it's a series of alternatives, but it might be a particular direction, but there could be a couple of options in that direction. Um, quite often we feel comfortable with, with either option and we then wait for that feedback and, and get that to come back to us. But they won't be wildly different schemes. Though I think we try to think it through, come up with something, a particular direction, and then there might be a couple of sort of tangents to that. Okay. Um, there was also the house in you did in Turak, which was very interesting. It was a um, a black house, very black, black steel um, surrounding the whole house, and very much intensive, you know, which intensified the landscape. Um, quite very, very strong and sculptural, which was quite a major piece of work for you. Mm. Tell me about that house and how that evolved. Um, our, our clients approached. Uh, to, we were one of two architectural firms to come up with a concept. It's a very large block of land in Turak, and they wanted something that was a family home but resort-like. So it meant that we located the house quite close to the street. It was a narrow street with very reduced um, front setbacks. So we maximised the landscape in the back and then decided to go for the black um, metal facade so that it was just a backdrop to the landscape and... Um, also gave them a lot of privacy being so close to the street. Then the rear was just completely opened up, um, a great big uh, lawn, deep pool, cabana building. The building was a, an L shape around the landscape mm -hmm. and very simple, warm, natural finishes inside, sandstone, timbers, white painted surfaces. Um, Reno, would this be a fair comment that that house and many of your houses, very modest facades, so not screaming for attention, very modest and really only reveal themselves once you pass the threshold? And I'd say that applies with the black steel house in Turak, where, you know, you create this sense of mystery and you're really not sure what it is until you actually get inside. It's part of our site planning. We, we try to maximise the amount of usable landscape that we have and then either wrap the house around it or have the house look into it. So therefore it means trying to minimise the front setback, um, the driveways, the access ways, fences, trying to downplay that, even though we do use them as front gardens that you can look into from the house. But mm. I think that effort of trying to maximise the back garden and minimise the front leads them to come close to the street and therefore trying to not make the front facades overwhelming but quite simple. Do you think at the moment we've become too futuristic and trying to, you know, say look at me, look at me, look at me when it really should be about the quality of the spaces? Look, I, I think there's a lot of that that goes on. Um, I'd like to think that not a lot of it is driven by the architectural profession but by owner builders, you know, design construct companies which try to really... Um, layer up the front elevations and, and the buildings in general. Is there, um, Reno, is, are there projects you won't touch? Like if you came across a significant home, for instance, uh, are there any that you wouldn't touch? And you'd say, oh no, look, I, I just, I don't want to renovate it. It's too precious. Um, 
I know that's a very specific question, but are yeah, there look, certain we've, things we've, that you feel uncomfortable touching? Fortunately, whenever that has arisen, there have been significant heritage overlays which have prevented that from happening. Um, but there would be... Look, there'd be some... There'd be great homes from the interwar period, which um, let's say that one slipped through the net and it didn't have a proper heritage overlay on it. Our strong recommendation would be to keep the character of that home and and then add to the back. In fact, we're working on one in Kew at the moment, which is exactly that scenario, a Victorian house that had been um, worked on so that the front is doesn't have any uh, heritage overlay. We still prefer to keep that and add to the back. And in fact, there's another one that we're working on, the Nernest Fuchs House oh, have a in Caulfield, where there was no major requirement to keep the front, but we persevered and the client came along with us uh, in keeping the front of the house and then doing all our new work to the rear. Is it difficult, Reno, when a client comes along with a significant house, whether it's an Ernest Fuchs or a, uh, you know, something really substantial, and they just want to pull it down? How do you kind of reconcile that? You know, in this case, they've said, no, we'll keep it. But how do you feel, you know, when they say, no, look, we just want a big new house. We don't want that Fuchs house. How do you work with that? It's, it must be quite well, challenging as an architect because you're kind of handing back a brief. Fortunately, we've never been in that position. But um, if it was a good brief, and I think you just have to um, try and do the best you could so uh, if with it was a clear direction there. But most people are very good at taking advice. Um, and fortunately, it's never come to that. Reno, I always enjoy interviewing you. I always like looking at your project, and um, I'm never disappointed. And I think that's something that I can honestly say when I see your work. So um, I'm sure I'll be writing on you and interviewing you for years <laughs> to come. Um, thanks so much for being uh, a guest on this program. You've been listening to Stephen Crafty, RMIT, Talking Design. Thanks so much for listening.